Hello, hello, and welcome to the newest episode of the Davey Diaries. Thank you for joining us, Double Ds. We have missed you over what seems to be a uh, three-month period of time. We've had Christmas, the Capitol insurrection, uh, the orange man stepping down, the new president, the uh, the guy who can barely remember his granddaughter's last name or what he ate for breakfast, <laughs> but is going to save us. I mean, you know... It was better than any other choice we had except for Bernie. But I'm a little bitter for about sure. it. What about for you, sure. Nelly? How do you feel? And how are you feeling on this glorious new year? I'm feeling great, Davey. I'm glad to be here. Um, you know, I, honestly, I just I feel this uh, inexplicable sense of peace. And, um, you know, not to like alienate some of our, um, you know, Republican listeners, but that's how I feel. I just, I feel a little bit more at peace. That's, I'm just going to put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same feeling when you put your mom in a, in an elderly home, you know, you know, yeah. you're taking care of, she's taking care of whatever of... you do there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just feel like, you know, finally there's a steady hand at the helm and that you can just, uh, sit back and just, you know, let, uh, let the professionals just, just do their thing. Just take care. Let of all the guilt wash over you. Don't even worry about it anymore. Yeah, it just feels like less of a messy situation. I agree with you, man. I agree. You know, I was really tired of having to like change America, like change my mom's diaper. You know, metaphorically speaking, every day, <laughs> washing oh, her, yeah. dealing with her insane outbursts at three in the morning, and all the racist shit she would say to me. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, like, I, I thought that Trump would, honestly, like, when he first got elected in 2016, I felt like there would be more of a sense of ease, you know what I mean? Like, I felt like things would be a little bit more, like, loosey-goosey, like, you kind of say a little bit more of what you want, do a little bit more of what you want, but quite frankly, that just wasn't the case. It really so, wasn't. Yeah. Well, in... In the vein of thinking about our past, today we are going to do something special. Today, we have a letter. And we have a letter from an old woman named Bladia Blickle. And she is one of our grandmothers. I'm not going to say which, but I am going to be the one to read the letter. Now, what this letter covers is what life was like in the 60s. And since our commander-in-chief, you know, is suffering from dementia. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no, I don't want to alienate anybody. It's not dementia. All right, it's a stutter. Let's, let's, let's be No, it's, it's, it's some form of dementia, dude. Come on now. But we thought that this would be a very interesting experiment is to go through this letter and, and commentate on what life was like in the 60s for a white woman. Um, coming from poverty and finding herself graduating high school and trying to make a life for herself. And we feel that's an interesting perspective that doesn't really get talked about a lot. I mean, you know, yes, we've heard of the, the white male story plenty of times and we have heard, you know, a lot of feminine stories, but I feel as though that this particular story is one that shines an interesting perspective on um, not only a particular way of life during this time, but also a particular mindset in how to move forward with young adulthood. 
And so and we're real quick though, what is the context of this? Is this um you know, what audience is this directed at? Like what was the purpose in writing the letter? Well, you know, Noe, I think you know what the purpose of writing the letter is since it could be either of our e- either of our uh, grandmothers, but the purpose basically just to document what life was like in the 60s. And so what do you think? You think we should it's like kind of a blog format, right? It's just Literally, kind of out there, out there for anybody to read. What was life like in the 60s? And it's posed to a um, you know, 70-year-old white woman who is, uh, you know, devout. A devout 70-year-old white woman. Right, right. She's religious. Yes. <laughs> Which, yes, that, I mean, that, that's very important context, I think. Okay, should we get started? Yeah, sure. Do you want to just read through the whole thing? and then? We'll no, I think that we'll pause the particular moments that should be paused. All right, for sure. What was like life in what was life like in the 60s? Wow, what a question. I was still in high school when the 60s got started. I graduated in 1962, a great year. By the time the 60s were over, I had gone to business school in Denver, worked at Allstate Insurance and Sears, got my first and only wolf whistle the day after I dyed my hair red, and decided then and there that I would be a redhead for the rest of my life. I got married in Plattisboro, New York, February 1964, and worked as a nurse's aide at a physician's hospital for $1.25 an hour, and paid off my school loan and my pots and pans. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude. That was Dude, that line just that gets rich. me. Okay, for those of you who don't know, Noe and I looked this up. $1.25 an hour back in 1964 was equivalent to $11 an hour today. So, one of our a woman was Close able to, to pay off her school loan for business school, move to New York, and pay off her pots and pans, making eleven dollars an hour. <laughs> She's basically able to furnish her New York apartment, cover rent, all of her other expenses, as well as pay down her uh, the entirety of her education. <laughs> Man, dude, the 60s sound interesting, bro. <laughs> they sound interesting already. Now, now hold on. What what university did you go to? Go go just go back business a little bit. school in Denver. That's all it says. Business school in Denver. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go, keep going. My school loan and my pots and pans, which I still have, 57 years later. I had my first baby in April of 1965, and my second in October of 1966 made some wonderful friends, one of whom, Boyce Locker, moved back in December of 1967. Oh, one of whom, Boyce Walker. Next next sentence. Now, two children in 1965 and 1966. Now, in 1964, she was... How old was she? Let's see. What year was she born? You know, or do you know how old she is today? Wow, she was twenty. So in nineteen in nineteen sixty five, when she had her first baby, she was twenty. Okay, twenty one. That's how old I was when I had my first son. When I had my probably only son. <laughs> 
Oh, wow, no, that's dude, crazy. You, you, gotta have, you can have some more kids, man. First child at 20 years old, and the next one at 21. Nuts. Back then, I don't feel like it was it was as nuts, dude. That's life in the 60s, bro. You just had kids early. People seemed to grow up fast, man, back then. You spit out a couple kids by your by the time you're 25. Um, you know, you're able to put yourself through school and everything. Like, I feel like back in the 60s when you turned 18, like, you could just go out and be, like, a totally independent adult. You go to business school and pay yeah. off school loans by the time you were 20. <laughs> yeah, not, nowadays you're... you're fucking tethered to your parents until you finally achieve some some degree of financial independence which for most people doesn't happen until like after 25 so yeah i just wanted to add that go on go on with the letter though move back to denver in 1967 when the air force transferred my husband to lowry afb for training to become a precision measurement equipment tech he calibrated the instruments that dropped the bombs over Vietnam from the B-52s. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what a violent job. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, what? I calibrate uh, Why missile, missile guidance systems that uh, <laughs> basically allowed us to drop bombs on the Viet Cong. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, let, let's be real here. Both our dads probably have worked on instruments of war. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna have your dad coming on the podcast to talk. Yeah, he's about a fucking yeah. he's a fucking uh, program manager at Northrop Grumman, probably one of the most insidious <laughs> uh, companies that contributes to the military industrial complex that we know of. A lot of death in this family. <laughs> moved in nineteen. Oh yeah. Moved in nineteen sixty eight to Bismarck, North Dakota, for six months while awaiting orders to follow my husband to Okinawa where he was transferred by the Air Force so he could use the training he had received to drop those bombs. <laughs> oh, God. By September of 19... 19- hey, man, you know what? We were at war. You know what I mean? That was our enemy. And, um... It's just amazing yeah, how people of that era still look at it. Yeah. By September of 1968, my marriage fell apart, and with no other idea of where to go, it was arranged that I would go back to North Dakota. But life took an amazing turn. My children and I were given the opportunity to visit their Aunt Blinda in Burbank, California for a few days. Those few days turned into 48 years. I wonder what Blinda could mean. What is that? <laughs> Winda? Zinda? Zinda. Yeah, Zinda. Trinda. I'm trying to change these <laughs> names on the fly so other people For aren't. sure, that's fine, that's fine. I totally get where you're coming from. It's just, you know, there's not a lot of guesswork involved in, um, you know, determining Blinda. What, Blinda, <laughs> what Blinda means. All right, uh, that's a fair point. <laughs> so was that in November of 1967, I saw California for the first time. We were on our way from Denver to Sacramento, where my husband would eventually leave, uh, leave from to go to Okinawa. It was a very cold drive across northern Nevada. A blizzard hit and we were stranded overnight in Eli. <laughs> the next day we followed the snowplow out of town and west of west to Donner Pass. The snowplow in front of us was taking snow off the highway and blowing it 30 feet into the air over the mountainside. Having lived in North Dakota for many winters and experiencing more than one blizzard, I had never seen as much snow at one time as I did crossing Donner Pass. And when we got to the other side, there was California. Palm trees and big cities, fast cars. 
and relatives that I had never met. Uncle Diff and Aunt Bay and two uh, mm-hmm. two of their young songs, Jerry and just come up with a random Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why the names have to sound the Strong same. Strong moldy, dude. You know what I mean? Just say anything you want. Strong moldy. And, and their young Pickle. daughter, Judy, as well as some relatives I had met previously in North Dakota <laughs> Aunt Jalis and Uncle Mario, and their two uh-huh. children, Janet and Mickey. Aunt Babe introduced us to UC Berkeley and all the hippies who went to school there. <laughs> I was not impressed with those crazy flower children thinking I was much too old for their kind of shenanigans. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It didn't occur to me that I was probably the same age as most of these crazy people. By then, I was almost 23. (laughs) Oh my god, dude. Once again, people grew up fast back then. Dude, in the 60s, bro, (laughs) somebody's grandma's 23, and they're just like... (laughs) <laughs> These fucking hippies are too yeah. laid back. <laughs> Fuckers got shenanigans going around. I don't want to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering where she grew up, you know what I mean? She grew up in, um, did she did she come from New York? Or no, she came from Denver and then she moved to New York, right? No, she grew up in North Dakota. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, that's like a vastly different place than Southern California in the 60s. By the end of my visit to California in 1967, I had seen the ocean for the first time. I had seen the hills of San Francisco. I had seen the freeways of California. I had been to Burbank, Hollywood, and back to San Francisco all in about a month. The 1963 Volvo 122S that we bought in Plattsburgh had brought us across the country, up and down California, and was now about to embark on the last long trip of its very long life. We picked up my my father, Uncle Uncle Jerry, home in Cloverdale, California, drove down to Richmond, California to stay overnight with Aunt Babe, when we discovered there was something drastically wrong with the Volvo. Arnold had taken it to a mechanic who said it needed a a valve job. When that was (laughs) done, he headed to the airport and his journey and his journey to Okinawa. I feel like I could use a valve job right about now. <laughs> Dude, could you imagine how, how easily it would be for a mechanic to just fuck you in the 60s, open it up? Ugh. Valves. Yeah, this needs a valve job. Uh, no Google, no nothing, dude. You can't get no other quote, dude. He just looks at it. It's f- fucking valves, man, bro. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to double flip the this carb procedure right here. <laughs> you know, you could just make shit up. See this part? You see this part? This part's real hard to come by. This part, it's gonna cost you ten thousand dollars. <laughs> oh. Which back then was like a, just a Could small. Can you imagine, dude, not having a cell phone? That's like you three can't, kids calling. You can't even. You can't even look up the other mechanics in the area. You gotta ask somebody. Oh. Hey, <laughs> this mechanic's trying to fuck me. You know how many other mechanics in the area? Dude, back then mechanics had so much leeway. Dude, so much power. If you were a mechanic in the '60s, you could just fucking open somebody's hood with valves. <laughs> Well, dude, even up, even up to the '90s, man. It hasn't been until the last like two decades, I guess, since the internet, really, that that you could uh, 
call mechanic grease monkeys out for their bullshit. Alright, so her husband leaves to Okinawa. I headed to North Dakota with my father, my daughter, age two and a half, and my son, age 14 months. My dad wanted to drive straight through straight through to Bismarck, but I don't think he had any idea how far that was. Over 1,500 miles. A 24-hour drive on a good day with no stops anywhere. We made it as far as Salt Lake City. An 11-hour drive uh, of 720 miles. I told dad we had to stop. I needed some sleep. So one night in a motel and the next day as early as possible, we headed over the mountains east of Salt Lake City in a blizzard. It was January 30th, 1967. A harrowing drive over the mountains with crazy, impatient people. One person driving a truck decided I wasn't going fast enough and decided to pass me right after I had seen into the depths of the mountain canyon where we were driving alongside. When we passed that white, sticky Utah snow sprayed over my car, covering all the windows, I screamed at my dad asking what to do. He told me to turn on the wipers. (laughs) (laughs) When I finally found the controls, we were still on the road, and the blasted truck was in front of me for the next hundred miles of blizzard following a long string of long-haul trucks. I love how two long paragraphs of this story of the 60s are dedicated to just driving places. (laughs) Dude, no Google Maps? Could you imagine trying to get from Southern California to Bismarck? With no, with no Google Maps. With no Google Maps, bro. Yeah. Oh, dude, that would be fucking horrific. You gotta pull out your old Thomas guide, dude. Your pat. You gotta have a passenger back then. I feel like. Dude, I guarantee that would be. Dude, I guarantee that would be a viral video, dude. Literally, just like two of us are blindfolded, dropped off in the middle of nowhere with a map. And you and me gotta find our way back home using no tech. Dude, I love I love how like back when I was a little kid, my dad would pull out his Thomas guide when we were going on like a long, long journeys, dude. Google Maps is so young, man. Google In fact, Map- like I don't I don't even think my dad uses Google Maps. What? <laughs> To this day, dude, I don't think he fucking uses Google Maps. <laughs> you think your dad uses a fucking Thomas guide? If he's got to go on like a really long distance trip, but honestly, like he pretty much just knows how to get everywhere, dude. <laughs> <laughs> if he's trying to like the only long road trip I've ever been on with my dad was we went up to like Northern California to visit some colleges. And I think he knew to just fucking hop on the five freeway. And just follow that you know what i mean like people from that generation just like know how to get around i think their sense of direction is just far superior to ours dude you you're telling me that if you're that if your homie texted you and was like hey daddy oh uh, hey noah's dad i guess he wouldn't talk to your dad that way he'd say, mr. Linick. <laughs> he'd say hey mr linick hey daddy oh uh, <laughs> he'd say hey uh Drop Noah off at my house. Here's a random address. Your dad would just be like, "All right, Noah, let's go." <laughs> Can we yeah, know how to get there? Yeah, he'd be like, "You'd be like, oh, I know this neighborhood. We just gotta cut in here." How does like, your I know dad know every fucking neighborhood? That's some stalker shit, bro. <laughs> your dad. Thirty years of driving without Google Maps, dude. <laughs> Thirty years of driving without Google Maps. Yeah. You just download neighborhoods. Uh, uh-uh, uh, bro. Your dad's the night stalker, bro. <laughs> nah. 
<laughs> no, you're probably right. You're probably right. Like in this day and age, he'd probably he'd probably like pull up his Google Maps app. You're you're right. Um, but back in the day, I guess you would have to um, get to ra- dude. Honestly, I don't know how directions used to work. Like, okay, with the advent of the internet, you could you could at least go online and print out directions, right? Like that's what like that's like the old school method is printing out a set of directions like someone invites you to their house they're like here's my address you google it print out the directions you're off and you're off to the races dude the way that i remember it here's how my mom always did it all right yeah how before map quest and shit so it would be like landmarks it would be landmarks and then it would be call me when you get like in this area i'll be outside you know and you're calling like hey i'm on you just fucking call somebody dude let's say it was like pre-80s say it's the 70s how do you get your oh, shit you can't call nobody no. i guess it's, it's they would just tell you like landmarks and then they'd give you a street name and be like i'll be outside and you just wait for them yeah and that's why like a lot of like cities and towns have like you know fourth street fifth street like that's why towns are designed that way so that you could you know it was built like a grid a grid system but of course, like small suburbs and stuff, you wouldn't have that. So I don't know, man. Well, yeah, that is a very interesting, uh, interesting way to put it, Noe. Like without Google Maps, these drives would be incredibly, uh, would be incredibly long lasting and would leave an impact on your brain. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, let's, let's keep going. So tonight, we, tonight we got as far as Gillette, Wyoming before I told dad we had to stop. I had narrowly missed getting hit by a semi-rig barreling down the highway directly at my car while I was trying to make a turn off the T intersection off the interstate highway exit. The stop sign had been previously knocked down, and there was no warning that I was headed for the T intersection. The rig missed us by inches, I'm sure. The trip had more harrowing happenings as I ever wanted to encounter. The interstate was not completed across Wyoming, so at every small town the road came to an end, and you... The, came, the road came to an end, and you had to drive through the little burgs as well as larger cities. Not too Burrows. many burgs in my... It's B-U-G-S. B-U-R-G-S. That's burrows? Nah. Burgs. Yeah, through the little burgs as well <laughs> as larger cities. Not too many of those in Wyoming. That night, after driving over 500 miles, we arrived in Gillette, Wyoming. It got down to 40 degrees below zero that night. <laughs> Holy shit. Dude. (laughs) I think that that's an exaggeration, bro, because I've like, I've been like, I mean, it can get that cold in Montana. When I was in Montana, it got to negative 30, but that cold in the sixties, it's got, it's another level. Like, like that cold, that cold would literally freeze her Volvo's liquids in the '60s, dude. Like it, it couldn't have been that cold. You know what I mean? Yeah. By the way, a burg is just a, it's a small town or city. Yeah. So I was right. I read it right. For sure. For sure. But yeah, dude, that is that is a level of cold that um, not many people can understand. But you do, you know, because you lived in Montana. I mean, even out here in Blowing Rock, it, it, it doesn't get to minus 30. Not even close.
So she, I mean, maybe it was that cold, dude, because the next line is my little Volvo with its new valves didn't like that one bit. And when dad went out to start the car in the morning, it wouldn't do anything. He then went in search of someone who would be willing to push the car while I popped the clutch to get it started. After about 10 pushes and 10 clutch pops, it finally started and stayed running as long as I was going over 15 miles an hour. Oh, God. Yeah, she, I mean, that makes sense. You have to keep the car warm in that kind of temperature. Okay. Problem was, my dad and my babies were behind me in the motel waiting for me to return. If I slowed down, the engine would die. If I tried to make a U-turn onto the frontage road, I would slide sideways onto the ice pack street. I eventually oh. chanced it before I ran out of town in frontage road. Uh, before I ran out of town in frontage road, got back to the motel, picked up everyone and our things, and headed out once again. Of course, Dad planned again that we would make it to Bismarck before the day was out. It was only 400 miles away. We almost got to Spearfish, North Dakota, about 100 miles down the road when the car sounded like it was crashing into itself. I asked my dad what to do. He said, call your mother. As if we had even heard of a cell phone. (laughs) There you go, man. Wow, dude, like a journey like this with no GPS and no fucking phone, dude, is like life. It could be life threatening, bro. For sure. If you're out in the middle of nowhere in that kind of cold and your car just fucking craps out on you, you're dead, dude. (laughs) (laughs) You don't if you didn't bring any water or blankets like fuck. We lucked out in a way because there were there were farmhouses on both sides of the road, and Dad, not being afraid to talk to anyone and ask for help, headed to one of the farms. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's just that's what you had to do back then is you had to just set out on foot and have the have the stones to just walk up to a random See, person's house. That's that's a privilege that you only got if you were white. Definitely. Definitely made it easier. Black people would have died in that winter. <laughs> yeah, or or they would have just had to take a chance, and maybe they would have been gunned down by some crazy farmer with a twelve gauge. But um, well, I know that I know that black people had like travel guides back then, dude. Oh, interesting, interesting. That told them where so to go, what like, restaurants to eat at, and like shit like that. Dude, just think about like. This is the 60s, dude. This is when, like, the civil rights movement was just, like, in full force. Oh, dude, she covers 1964. That's literally the signing of the civil rights movement. I mean, it's it's pretty fucking telling that this entire essay is written about what life was like in the 60s and not a single mention of the civil rights act. <laughs> dude, I just, I love how, like, people today are all shaken up by, like, Donald Trump and the storming of the Capitol, but, like... In the 60s, dude, you had the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement raging, the assassination of a president, dude. That's just, like, a level of political upheaval that, like, we just don't comprehend, dude. Imagine, like, literally your president gets fucking taken out. (laughs) You know? But anyways, go on, dude. Well, I think we're on an tangent here, dude. So, like... This is something that you can only do if you're white. And frankly, like, I find it very interesting that that you're right. This is she talks about 1964 and does not mention the Civil Rights Act because it wasn't important to her. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much I guess she can cover. And like, 
This to me reads a lot more like. Well, no, um, dude. If like this was the epic of a black grandmother, this would be like. Be so well, in 1964, I could like do things. <laughs> you know, I could go outside yeah. and not not in fear of my fear for my life. Yeah. Well, like a trip, a big trip like that from California to um, North Dakota just would have been a lot less desirable. Like they probably would have. Um, just stayed stayed where they were like i feel I, I feel like you know long distance travel just like wasn't in the cards you know <laughs> it's pretty fucked up pretty fucked up how how backwards our society was like just a short you know 70 it's years just ago. so interesting to me like this is just a part of life that like she never had to deal with ever Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's something that we don't have to deal with either, dude. Definitely, man. It's just sad, man. Makes me sad. Not, but at the same time, dude. In the '60s, like women were also treated like second-class citizens. I mean, you know? yeah. So she had her, own, like, had her own like battles to to fight. Yeah, bro, but. Still, they had rights. <laughs> yeah, sort of, dude. But like, yeah, like Bill Burr's talked about like in his stand-up bits, like what happened to like the wives that we used to have in the '60s, where you could come home from a rough day and just download all your frustrations onto them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, for the most part, just had to like sit there and take it if their husband was pissed off and he needed a fucking beat up he needed a punching bag they were it you know it was them or the kids oftentimes both yeah dude but like (laughs) i don't know we don't need to get into this it's just interesting to me let's keep going no one was home well thank you very much it was sunday morning and a good farm family would be at church Dad then went to the other farm where he found the owner who said he would tow us up to Spearfish about 10 miles away. Wow, what a nice mm. fucking guy. If they were black, he would have said, get the fuck off my land. <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. He got his truck in front of us, hooked up his tow chain to the underside of my Volvo and started down the road. Dad immediately told me to make sure there was never any slack in the chain because if it became slack and suddenly went taut, it could snap and sling back, break the window, and we would all be killed. Oh. <sighs> I never let that chain go slack. Kept my f- kept my foot on the brake all the way to Spearfish. The man who towed us to town told me he had never pulled a car so heavy. It really put a strain on his truck. I didn't tell him I had had my brakes on the entire. I I hadn't told him that I had made brakes on the entire ten miles. <laughs> we parked next to a car dealership, but of course they were closed. The restaurant across the street was open, and since it was close on to noontime and Dad's stomach worked on the clock, we went to get some food. We were able to stay in the restaurant until 4 p.m. when it closed for the night. Then all we could do was stay in the car until Mom and my brothers arrived from Bismarck to rescue us. How they found us has always been a mystery to me since no one was out and about to ask for any kind of directions. (laughs) Jesus, wow. In the car, we had plenty of blankets, but we needed to keep the car running to keep us warm. When we got warm, we waited until the cold started creeping in. 
Then dad and I would change places and start the car again. Hold the clutch in so the engine would run without sounding like it was going to blow apart. (laughs) Get the car warm and turn off the engine. This routine went on from 4 until 2 in the morning. We were about 300 miles away from a rescue party, supposedly a five-hour trip, but in the dead of winter on New Year's Eve, anything could happen. We left the car in Spearfish and crowded into Mom's roomy Pontiac and finally got to Bismarck around 6 a.m. What a trip to close out 1967, but it was also the beginning of the worst year of my life, 1968. Is that it? There's another story there, to be saved for another day. Suffice to say, the 60s for me were the wildest, craziest days of my life. (laughs) It was your 20s, dude. Dude, my grandma's wildest... Oh, well, yeah, it's my grandma, everyone. My grandma's wildest, craziest times of her life was going on two road trips and having her children. Well, I mean, that's that's just like what she was able to squeeze into five paragraphs, bro. And looking down on hippies. <laughs> Dude, I'm sure there was, there was so much in there that she like just couldn't put down on paper. I guarantee it, bro. I believe it. I believe there's, there's some crazy times. And I'm sure many, many people who lived through the 60s feel the same way. The Vietnam War straddled most of that decade. It was the beginning of the days of drugs and flower children and communes and protests and protest songs. We made it through, well, most of us. The memorial for the Vietnam War always makes me cry to think about it, to see it, to see a a replica of it. I always have tears. The 50,000 and more names on that memorial wall were my peers, were my brothers and sisters of the age, and they didn't get to become 76 years old like I have. I have been blessed and given much, and I am grateful for surviving the 60s decade. (laughs) Jesus. Ominous. It's pretty cool, man. That actually gave me a lot of in- additional insight into the woman that we um, did cooking club with all the time, man. I can't believe I was like cooking on the pot, same pots and pans that she had when she- in the 1960s. Yeah, dude. I mean, like, <laughs> she's a cool. She probably cooked one of our one of our stupid little like pizzas. She's or a cool, cool woman, man. She's really cool, but she's also white and Mormon and. You know, that's just a very little vanilla. She's a little vanilla, dude. Well, it's just different from my mom. You know what I mean? It's just different. Like, it's not the same. My grandparents on my mom's side are actually from North Dakota, too. Yeah, I mean, my mom. But, you, dude, my mom's from from fucking Iran, bro. Like, Yeah, I know, I know. My mom's from a Middle Eastern country, dude. Yeah, dude, your mom should honestly, like, start writing down some of her memories from that. Because it really is, it really does, like, give you a much better idea of, like, what this person is, like, what they went through. Like, thinking of your grandma and, like, who who she was when I interacted with her back in middle school at Cooking Club. And also juxtaposing that with, like, some of her experiences that she told about just now in the 60s is um it's very interesting man it's very cool it is very cool little redhead whippersnapper i thought that i thought that was a cool story she have gray hair 
when we when we knew her did you, was she still like dyeing her hair you know she's got gray hair she's got gray hair now. hey i need you to take control of the podcast i'll be right back it'd be it'd be crazy to uh to see her right back are red control hair. i'm taking control dude <laughs> all right so now it's it's not the davy diaries it's the noah diaries so let's just talk about a little story that um pertains to my grandparents shall we so my grandpa and my grandma they're both from north dakota as well same as david's grandma and um i don't know as much about my grandma's childhood as i do about my grandpa's but he grew up in a in a family with seven brothers and um Man, I just can't imagine like growing up in like the frigid, you know, elements of North Dakota with seven brothers. Like that's got to make you pretty tough. Um, he played football in um, in high school. He was six, or he is six two. Um, and he just seems like a really tough guy, you know. Like he's he's like eighty five now. My grandma's passed away, so he's all alone. And uh, he just does his thing every day, you know. He'll go out and play golf. Um, he keeps his house in ship shape. Um, just takes care of himself. And um, yeah, man, that generation, they're just uh, on a whole new level of toughness. All right, I'm back. That, uh, you know, not a lot of cool. I was just filling some time, dude. I don't know how boring that was, but <laughs> I just filled, I filled time the whole time. That's fine, dude. That's fine. That's what I needed you to do. So... Let's talk about something else, bro. Let's talk about something going on in your life, man. You finally paid off Ira, the conclusion of the Ira Chronicles. Why don't uh, we yes. people how Ira finally yes. got paid off from start to finish? Yeah, well, um, so let's start with Pia. This was a long time coming, and I finally did it. Uh, so Pia, once again, for those of you who don't know, my, um, my autistic stepbrother is... Um, Jason, if you guys listen to the first episode, you'll know who I'm talking about. Uh, I guess technically the second episode, but he has the savant ability to name uh, machines. <laughs> He's named all my cars. Um, my first car was a white pickup truck. Elon he should really it. hire him to name the Teslas, bro. We should start adding Elon on Twitter to get Jason to be the to name Teslas for him. For sure, for sure. But he named my... Um, my first white pickup truck, he named him Harrison. <laughs> and Harrison was the perfect fucking name. Um, but anyways, to make a long story short, my most recent car uh, was this beat-up old Subaru Outback. It was a 2000 with 330,000 miles on it, and Jason named it Pia. Because <laughs> I guess it was... I mean, it, it's a perfect name. It's a piece of shit. Um... But uh, it's an older name, too, dude. It's what you'd expect, like, an older person to be named. Yeah, yeah, it was the perfect name. So, anyways, I'm driving Pia along, and um, all of a sudden, I, I try to turn off of, like, you know, a, a neighborhood road onto a main street. And as I'm in the middle of making my turn, um, I just hear this this like sound of metal dropping out from the bottom of my car and clanking onto the onto the cement below. And so I knew 
I was like, well, that's the end of Pia. Like, I just, in that instant, I was like, oh, like, this car's done. <laughs> You've been in many a car before, and you you can tell, dude. There's something about well, driving, no, like, a this- really shitty car when you know, you know, like, when you hear the sound of sounds, when you're like, that was it. Dude, when you hear a bunch of metal components clanking, from, like, out from the bottom of the car onto the floor that literally like this thing just like shit itself like it was like a car like being so old that it that it no longer had control of its bowels and just shitting its guts out (laughs) it just like just all of its fucking like undercarriage like i don't know what it was it was the drive shaft apparently the drive shaft assembly but um it's like your car just, it just all fell out <laughs> yeah it just <laughs> fell out the bottom so simultaneous to like this metal component falling out the bottom of the vehicle the engine just shut off <laughs> like the car literally just died right there it just breathed its last breath um and i let it just drift over to the side of the road i have an elvis yeah i had my dog fish in the car her name's fish in the car with me dude and she's just looking at me just like shaking like what the fuck just happened and um i'm just sitting over on the side of the road it's a cold snowy night and um i was like oh god and i had a i had not only my dog in the car with me but also a um a mouse wrapped up in a cardboard <laughs> box just scratching just like just fidgeting in this little box in the car dude and you've just had horrible scaling your car before, yes. <laughs> yeah, I bring I bring home mice to feed my um my python. Um, Why don't you and, tell a uh, story about how a mouse got? got I'll never oh, forget. Dude, like this has happened before. Where, I'm, like, on the I, phone, I, I'm on the phone with Noah. I'm talking to him, and he's door dashing, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah. I got this mouse in the back because he for some reason he decided to pick up his mouse at like the halfway through his door dashing <laughs> excursion, like an idiot." Because at the no, at the time I didn't know. I was just like, "Look, it's it's secured in this box. Like it's so not I going hear him. I hear him on the phone. He's just talking to me." We're just having a conversation about something random. All of a sudden, I hear, oh, oh, what the hell? <laughs> no, no, I'm in the middle of a conversation. Then all of a sudden, I'm just like, ah! Because I, I feel a tail scrape against my calf. It just it just glides along my calf. I feel this tail. And I immediately knew what had happened. You know what I mean? Like, I knew, like, that fucking slimy little rat got out of its container. And I look, I look at my feet. And sure enough, this like white little mouse is like scurrying around underneath my pedals. <laughs> so like I felt, I, I it was kind of nerve wracking because I felt like if I slammed on the brakes, dude, I would just squash this mouse. So I'm freaking out, dude. I pull over to the side of the road somehow. I get the car to a stop, and um, I get out and I I try to catch this mouse, dude. It like scurries underneath my seat. It's like this whole fucking debacle dude i'm like trying to calm. catch you feel I'm like, trying to catch a mouse like yeah, trying Tom to chase Barry, Barry, dude. Dude. <laughs> yeah i'm trying to catch this mouse and put it stuff it back into its little pandora's box into its box of death dude yeah dude. <laughs> into its little yeah so i got that mouse back in um no big deal um i mean definitely rattled me a little bit but uh 
I mean, no one wants to see a fucking mouse scurrying around underneath its, their feet while they're driving. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so I had this same issue impending. Like, I was stopped dead on the side of the road. It was coming down with snow. I have a dog and a stupid little mouse just trying to, like, scurry out of its... Just trying to, like, claw out of its box. Just constantly making fidget noises. Which was really aggravating in an already stressful moment. Um, you know, the feeling of a mouse trying to scratch claw its way out of a box is just aggravating. So I'm sitting there for like an hour waiting for AAA. And um, I also called a uh, an Uber to pick me up because um, AAA wasn't going to be able to uh, let me ride along in the car with them because of COVID. So AAA shows up, they hook up my car and... Um, you know, get it towed, and then my Uber shows up, and I and I'm I just have my dog, a bag of like essentials from the car because I knew it'd be a long time um, before I like you know gain, gained access to the car again. You're getting in the Uber with the mouse. Get in the Uber with a dog, a mouse, and a bag of my stuff. <laughs> but like the guy doesn't know that like the mouse is with me. So, like, <laughs> anyways, so I get in the car. And um, I'm driving, he's driving me back to my house. And um, he's a young college student, right? So I'm just feeling so depressed, dude. So he's telling me about his college, his college education. He's like, he's like, yeah, man, I'm uh, studying computer science. And I was like, oh yeah, man, that's a, that's a good idea. A lot smarter than, I, than what I did, man. I studied political science. You don't, you don't want to be like me, man. Just keep doing what you're doing, bro. <laughs> I was like, oh, computer science. It's a great, it's a great degree, man. I, w- I wish I had gone that route, but keep doing what you're doing. Like, he could tell that I was, like, depressed. But anyways, he was like, hey, buddy, do you think I can ask you a favor? And I was like, sure, man, anything. Anything. He, like, he, he yeah. could have asked you to bury a body and you would have been like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this guy this guy saved my ass. So um, he's like, I just finished finals tonight and um, I want to buy two double bottles of Moscato wine. So I was like, sure, no problem, man. Just hand me some money and I'll go in there and I'll buy it for you. Because I guess he was under 21. I don't know how he was Ubering under 21, but uh, I guess he was able to. So anyways, <laughs> um, I go in there, I buy his uh, Moscato and I come back out and I get in the car and he's like, we keep driving along. And he's like, hey man, um, not to alarm you, but I heard some like uh, some scrounging around back there and I know it wasn't your dog. And I was like, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I also got a, I got a, I got a, a dog and a snake's mouse back here. And he's like, you got a snake and a mouse? And I was like, no, my snake's mouse. You got a snake and a mouse? Yeah, he like misheard me. And, um, and I was like, I was like, no, man, I just got, I just got a mouse for, for my snake. <laughs> and I was like, the mouse is in the, is in the back here in the, in a box. <laughs> he's like. All right, man, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and so he drops me off, dude, and um, I get inside, and um, I'm just completely dejected. I say goodbye to this Uber driver, like, fuck it, whatever, you know? Like, I had a mouse with me, like, who cares? It didn't escape. 
which was a good thing, dude. Um, like I could tell that it was about to burrow out, dude. And if, if I lost this mouse in this guy's Uber, like that would have been like, <laughs> he could have easily just told me to get the fuck out. Hey, but um, hey man, I like I heard some scrounging around back. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but believe it or not, I actually had the foresight to bring one of the things I packed in my bag from my car was a roll of duct tape. <laughs> and I realized that this mouse was on the verge of escaping. So I so I um quickly like grabbed a little duct tape and like patched up the hole that the mouse was trying to trying to burrow. Hey man, I don't mean to alarm you, but I, I heard some scratching around back. There. <laughs> yeah, dude. Exactly, man. Um yeah, it's just my snake's mouse. You got a snake and a mouse back there, man! <laughs> Got a dog and a snake and a mouse. <laughs> but anyways, like, he gets me home, dude, and I say goodbye to this guy. And, um, you know, he got his Moscato. Like, everything was good. Uh, you tip and, him? Um, did you Did you fuck Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You tipped no, him. I gave him a $10 tip. I gave him a $10 tip. I bought him alcohol, and I gave him a $10 tip, bro. Double D's, you tell us in the comments, dude. Did this man deserve a tip after after asking Noah to buy him booze? <laughs> I don't care, dude. Like after like springing of springing the news that I had a fucking mouse back there, dude. Like he deserved a little tip. You got a snake in a mouth. I cannot even imagine what the guy was thinking. He's just sitting in the front seat and he hears like little. Like what the fuck was going through this guy's mind? I don't know. He alarmed, bro. <laughs> he was alarmed. Yeah, dude. He probably no. thought he had he had a rat burrowing around in the fucking crawl space of his car, dude. Hey, man, I don't mean to alarm you, <laughs> but I heard some scratching around back there, man. Dude, I'm gonna start saying that. Hey, man, I don't mean to alarm you, <laughs> but you need to take a shower, my boy. <laughs> Yeah, so, anyways, look, we got to wrap up this story, dude. We got hung up, maybe. Keep going, but it was keep going. So, I get home, and I'm just dejected. I put a fire in the fireplace. I'm just sitting in front of the fire to warm my bones. And I'm just writing in my journal about, like, how fucked over I am. Because I don't have a car. And no car means no income. Because I, I deliver food for a living. Yeah, as much as we love doing this podcast, Double D's, it is not lucrative yeah so anyways um i'm just sitting there writing in my journal and um all of a sudden uh my dad calls and we get to talking and of course i break the news to him and he's like well son how much do you think you could pay per month for a car and i was like well dad i could probably afford like about 300 dollars." and he's like okay cool son so we're gonna wake up tomorrow and i'm gonna help you out with this we're gonna look we're going to call like a bunch of dealerships and we're going to get quotes on some cars and we're going to buy you a new car. Yeah, we're going to finance it. Obviously, I'm not going to like, you know, buy a car outright for you, son. But um, we're going to find you a car to get in. So I had this renewed sense of hope. You know, I go to bed feeling feeling all right. I wake up the next day. I call a bunch of dealerships. I find out that the best deal that I'm going to get is on a 2019 Honda Civic LX. So I called the dealership and the and the believe it or not, the salesman um, drives out to my house and he picks me up. Um, for those of you double D's you don't know, like if you want to buy a car, 
you can most oftentimes convince the uh, dealership salesman to pick you up. Okay, so they woo you and they get you into a 2019 so car. Me, yeah, they get me into the car. Um, so that's cool. I call my grandma Marlene to tell her the news. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah, grandma, I bought it. I, I just got a new car. I'm in a 2019 Honda Civic. And she's like, you can't buy a new car without paying Ira. <laughs> she's like, you got to pay your debt. You're driving the car or you used to drive the car and, and you still haven't paid him <laughs> over a year, Noah. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, Grandma, I feel you. I feel you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure out a way to sell Pia, and I'm gonna take the money that I earned from selling the car, and I'm gonna pay Ira with it. He's like, "You better, you better pay Ira. <laughs> you better, or you're done, Noah. You're done." Yeah. yeah, she was very threatening. Um, and so I find out that um. I'm going to be able to sell the car to the, uh, to the, to the body shop that I had Pia towed to just the simplest possible solution I could imagine. Um, the guy agrees to pay $300 for the car done deal. So, uh, so I, 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 you know, I get the deal going. Ira happens to be, um, a notary. So he's like, no, you can just, uh, you know, bring him on by my place and I can notarize the, uh, the sale. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, cool. Ira, we'll, we'll be over there tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. So we show up at the place. And, um, by the way, before we showed up there, like the night before I texted Ira and I was like, by the way, you have the title, right? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I got the title. <laughs> and so, um, we show up, dude, I dragged this poor guy that's buying the car. He's on crutches. Oh! <laughs> So I, I get this poor guy to leave his workplace to come do this. And um, we're all ready to make the deal. And I was like, all right, Ira, we're here. Where's the title? And he's like, oh, I thought you had it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, Ira, that's why I contacted you and asked if you had it. And he's like, uh, no, I don't have it. It must have been mailed to you. <laughs> so I was pissed, dude. I, t- I told this guy, like, look, I'm so sorry I took up your time. Like, um... I'll, I'll get the title from the DMV or wherever they mailed it to. I promise, and we'll pick another date to, to finalize this deal. So I go to the, I head over to the DMV and I ask them. I said, "Where did you guys mail the title to?" And they told me that it was sent back because it was mailed at the wrong address. So I gave them my PO box and I said, um, "Please mail out a new one as soon as possible." So poor Ira. Um, I mean, not poor Ira. Like it was his own goddamn fault. He's got to wait another two weeks for the title to get mailed to me. Meanwhile, so he is just sitting at this guy's shop. Just <laughs> rusting, dude. Yeah. Um, so we wait two weeks. I get the title. I finally bring it over to Ira, dude. He notarizes the signature on the title, man. This guy plunks $300 cold hard cash in my hand. And then I have to immediately just hand it up to Ira. <laughs> <laughs> but still, though, it felt amazing to just, like, have that off my chest, to be able to call my grandma again and not just get reamed out. Now, tell us the reaction for everybody listening. Tell us the reaction your grandma had when you finally said, Grandma, call John. The debt's paid. 
She's like, oh my God, no, I'm so proud of you. I'm going to tell John right away. He's in Atlanta right now, but I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him as soon as I can. <laughs> and um, John fucking sends me a text. He's like, well done, Noah. Grandma tells me you've paid Ira for the car. I'm proud of you. Happy New Year, John. And um, man, I'll tell you what, like getting that text from John, like after challenging the man to a duel, <laughs> John threatening me for like half a year, threatening to take the car from me and just all this stuff, dude. My, my, my relationship was permanently eroded with my grandparents over there. <laughs> I get to all, I get to put it all behind me and like the best thing is is that like I think they both are willing to bury the hatchet on this like you know that that little text message is the only thing I've heard from John since but my grandma has basically said um you know like she was like let's just put this behind us Noah and um yeah man like I thought I was gonna like just be in the be in the doghouse with my grandma forever. Right, but, uh, well, I'm very glad that that okay. is the end of the saga. We've got four minutes left. We got we got time for a quick how I got fired story from the great Noe Linick. Oh God! All right, all right, <laughs> all right. Let's tell the Selena story, man. Selena's, <laughs> it's time, bro. It's time. It's time. <laughs> So I got this job um, working as a landscaper and it was pretty dope because like I know a little bit of Spanish. So I was able to kind of like, I mean, this isn't racist, like literally like all my coworkers are Spanish speakers. Um, and um, I started befriending all of them because I could speak a little. Uh, but there was this guy that was not friends with any of them at all. His name was Salinas. <laughs> And like all of the um, all of the regular like landscaping guys hated this dude because his sole purpose was to drive around in a whip and um, just slowly like roll up on various landscaping sites um, and just like spy on us <laughs> to see like if we were doing our jobs right to see if like you know we weren't like drinking on the job or like anything like you know nefarious going on so. So they quickly told me they're like they're like no, whatever you wanna do is fine by us as long as you get the job done. But when you look behind you and you see Salinas in his car, you gotta get to work. <laughs> he's like he's like you gotta work like your Speedy Gonzalez. <laughs> and so I was like okay okay that's easy enough. What kind of car does Salinas drive? And they're like he drives a silver BMW. <laughs> <laughs> So I, um, you know, one of the rules is that you can't smoke and you can't or vape. But um, I was like the youngest guy in the crew. Most of these guys were like 30 something year old, like dudes who had like families and shit. And um, I was like 22 at the time. And um, so they, none of them had heard of vaping. They're like, oh, what's that? Noah? And I was like, oh, this is, this is my vape. It's like how you guys smoke cigarettes and stuff on your breaks. Like it's the same thing, it's nicotine. And they're like, are you sure it's not, it's not the mota? And, I, and the mota is um, what they call weed. For those of you who don't know, they don't call it marijuana. They call it mota. So they're like, they're like, they're like, I'll take a puff. Is that the mota? And I was like, no, it's just nicotine. It's just nicotine. And they're like, oh, nicotina, nicotina. 
okay. <laughs> so they're like, whatever you do, don't do that in front of Selena's. It'll, it'll kick you off, man. And so I was like, I was like, oh, I can't vape in front of Selena's. And they're like, no. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine. But I like, I was just so cavalier. Like I just didn't, I didn't give a shit. I was like, look, like I'm working like a dog out here. Like if I want to hit my vape, like I'm gonna hit it. Like we're outside. You know, like, give me a break. So I was like working one day, um, just raking, just like raking like leaves and stuff. And um, I take a little break to um, hit my vape. And uh, I take a rip. But before I exhaled, um, my homie Carlos looks behind him and he's like, he's like, Noah, don't turn around right now, but it's Salinas. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, dude. So I did my best to like ghost it, to ghost the vapor cloud. <laughs> but I like didn't fully ghost it. So like a little puff of like vapor came out. <laughs> a little cloud of smoke. And I look behind me, like just out of the corner of my eye, dude. And I see Salinas like stop his car <laughs> and like get out. And he comes up to me and he's like, he's like, hey, hey, you. And I was like, yes, Salinas. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like I don't know what's going on over here but I saw some smoke coming out of your mouth buddy and he's like just so you know this is strike one there's no vaping or smoking and I was like okay and Salinas could speak perfect English so that's why he didn't really have like an accent so I was like alright that's fine so like Noah it's Salinas so after my day <laughs> so after that day, um, Salinas calls me into his office and he's like, he's like, look, Noah, I know that I said that was strike one, but this doesn't work like baseball. <laughs> if I catch you, he's like, if I catch you vaping one more time, I'm going to have to fire you. And I was like, okay, fine. Like, I was like pissed off because like, you know, like I don't deserve that. Like I work like you know, back-breaking labor all day. This guy just drives around in his car. Like, this is why, like, everyone hated Salinas. Because, like, he doesn't do shit. He just drives around. So, I go back out, and, like, the next day, dude, like, I take a huge puff of my vape again, dude. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, God damn it, no, the Salinas behind you. Oh, no. And I look behind me, dude, and I don't give a shit, dude. I just blow out a giant cloud of vapor dude Selena's like this time dude he doesn't even come up to me he just drives away and then um another car it wasn't Selena's car comes up to the site and he's like yeah hey um I'm gonna go ahead and give Noah a ride back to the site um we got another guy here that's gonna be working um his name is Andreas um welcome into the welcome him into the group and so I get this guy's car and like I know the axe is coming down on me but there's like an hour long car drive back to the, back to the headquarters so I'm driving this car it's just he's making small talk with me the whole time dude like it's just so so awkward like we gotta talk for the full like hour and um finally like as we're pulling in like we're just talking about like marriage like I was like with a girl at the time we lived together and I was just telling him about like the woes of my relationship. And he was just like, oh yeah, man, I've been married to the same girl since I was 16, buddy. But just like making small talk, it was really stupid, honestly. 
because I knew it was going to happen. And so as soon as we pull into the parking lot of the headquarters, he's like, well, no, I hate to say this, man. I hate to drop this on you, but um, we're letting you go, bud. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy, like actually kind of liked me, you know, like he didn't really want to see me go, but he was like, I hate to do this to you, Noah, but I'm going to have to, we're going to have to let you go. And he's like, you're going to be all right. Noah, you got a lot of things going for you. And, and good luck with the lady back at the house. <laughs> and I was just like, thank you. And he's just like, oh, oh uh, we're going to need that vest, by the way, buddy. <laughs> and I just took off my vest, fucking left it on the car seat, and just dejectedly like walked back to my car. And that was the end of my landscaping days. And that's the end of this podcast. Thank you so much, Double D's, for listening. We appreciate all of you. You will be able to follow us on Twitter and social medias as soon as we hit 100 followers. We appreciate all of you. Noah, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, I, I just want to get, get everybody hyped about the idea that um, currently David and I do not live in the same area. We live totally on opposite sides of the country but we decided you know what it's time to start really grinding on this on this career in entertainment and um so for that reason i'm moving out to olympia and um we're going to pursue entertainment together as a team baby Fuck yeah. we appreciate you all right all right that's it for davy and noah double d's you have a great rest of your week we'll see you next time Bye. Peace out.